Well, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to John's Gospel, John chapter 20, uh, today, and then two more weeks after this, and we will be through uh, going through John's Gospel. It's been a good journey. Uh, most recently, we have seen that Jesus was crucified, Jesus died, and Jesus was buried, and on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. This really happened. And so we've talked about how do we respond to that. And last week was a good week, wasn't it? We got to not only hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, this really happened, but we also got to witness the baptisms of four people who decided to publicly identify with Christ, being obedient to His command, that those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus would then show that, display that to people, and publicly identify with Christ by being baptized. That was a a good, good Sunday, and I'm so thankful for that. So that was the response of four people. By the way, we will be doing another baptism, uh, probably like late winter, early spring, and so I intended to, I started working on putting together like a little baptism question and answer, because a number of you maybe come from a different tradition or background, or or just have questions that before you would kind of jump into considering that, uh, you would want some questions answered, Uh, and so uh, I started working on that, I didn't finish it, so hopefully next week uh, you'll have in your bulletin a little baptism question and answer thing as well. But here in the Gospel of John, this is where we're at, we saw last week Jesus risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene had seen him there at the tomb. Peter and John had seen an empty tomb and gone back, and that was on a Sunday morning. All of the gospel writers make sure to point out this was the first day of the week. So this happens on a Sunday morning. And now today, as we look at the last half of John, chapter 20, we're still starting out on that same Sunday. Instead of morning, though, it's now evening time. And anytime we look at God's Word, we want to understand what it says, but we also want to see how it applies to us where we're at today. And I think there's going to be ways in which you're going to see this especially being applicable to you if you're a person who's prone to fear or anxiety. That if you're a person who has a lot of questions and some doubts, this is going to be especially applicable to you. And if you're somebody who does not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this will be especially applicable to you as well. And so, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 19 to 31 today. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? We'll pray first. Father, we believe a lot of things to be true. We believe those things to be true because they're written to us clearly in your word. So we're really thankful. We're thankful that though while while we may not feel like we have the answers to every question we may ever have, we can know what we need to know because you've given it to us in your word. And so I pray that you would help us today as we look at your word to know what we need to know, to understand what we need to understand, but most of all, to believe what we need to believe. Only your Holy Spirit can bring that kind of faith about, and so I pray that you would come and do that now as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 20, God's word says this, beginning in verse 19, on the evening 
of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster that the disciples have been on throughout this whole week? Jesus had done much to prepare them for what was to come, but ultimately they didn't seem all that prepared. When Jesus on Friday was arrested and tried, it was late on Thursday night, and then early Friday morning arrested and tried and ultimately crucified, his body taken off the cross, his dead body buried in a tomb, only to find that on the third day, this Sunday, his body was no longer there. Two of the disciples saw the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene had actually seen Jesus himself. You can imagine the emotional roller coaster they're on, but now... It's good news, right? Jesus, the Lord, has risen from the dead. It just happened that morning. So what would you expect them to be doing that night? Well, if he's Lord and he was dead and now he's alive, you would expect maybe they'd be out telling some people about this good news. But what's happening? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. What are they doing? hiding out in a room with a locked door. Why? Why are they hiding out in a room with a locked door? It says, for fear of the Jews. What do you suppose they might have been afraid of? Probably afraid that because it was the Jews who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, and that's exactly what happened, knowing that they had been closely associated with Jesus for the last three years, wondering if they might be found guilty by association. That might have been part of the fear. Maybe part of the fear was the fact that, remember Mary Magdalene's theory when she saw no body in the tomb? Where did they take it? Somebody took his body. 
The disciples might be afraid that they're going to be accused of stealing Jesus' body. Right? It would be advantageous for them to, to do that, maybe, and so they might be accused of stealing Jesus' body. Either way, it tells us they're in that room locked up because of fear. And can you blame them? And what I love is the way that Jesus, well, a couple of things I love about the way Jesus enters. One, note the room is locked, okay? The room is locked and it says Jesus came and stood among them and said to them. And Jesus addresses their hearts when he says, peace be with you. You might write it off as, well, that's just kind of a pretty standard greeting, except for he's going to say it two more times. But Jesus comes into the room to these disciples who have been on this emotional roller coaster and his words to them, speaking to their hearts is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace or shalom. Everything being whole. Everything being right. This is what Jesus brings when he comes. Now certainly Jesus needed to speak to their hearts as their emotions have been on this roller coaster. But Jesus also recognizes they're going to have some questions in their mind. They had certainly known that Jesus was crucified on Friday. And now here he is standing in the room with them with the locked door. And so, verse 20 says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He's also addressing their minds. Certainly they have questions. And so Jesus shows them, look at my hands. What would they see in his hands? Nail holes, right? His side, he had been pierced in the side. So he shows them evidence. He's not only addressing their hearts by saying, peace be with you. He's addressing their minds by showing them evidence. Here, I have some hands for you to see. My side, you can see. And the disciples who were in this room locked up for fear, now their emotion changes again. What does it say? Now they're glad. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord changed because they've seen some evidence. And notice this, Jesus speaks again. And what does he say again? Peace be with you. And then we have what can be some of the, the, the challenging verses from this. See, every one of the gospel writers shares some form of Jesus' commission to his disciples. That is, after the resurrection, before Jesus goes to be with the Father, Jesus gives a commission, a job description. Here's what you're supposed to do now kind of talk to his disciples. The most common, the, the one we, we probably memorize, and kids that are in Awana, you sing a song where you say, go, 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 you know that one? Right? Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew's great commission. This is what Jesus said, and Matthew records that. But John records of a different time here in this room where Jesus is giving a commission to his disciples. And Jesus says this to them. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. See, Jesus' commission is a sending commission. You're not going to hang out here in Jerusalem in a locked room forever. It's a sending kind of mission. You belong to me. You're one of my disciples. You're going to be sent out. Just like the Father sent the Son, the Son sends his disciples out. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive 
the Holy Spirit. There is a way in which the Holy Spirit has come at different times and in different situations to dwell in different people, and the Holy Spirit will come in a much more full way to dwell in every believer beginning at Pentecost, which we read about in Acts chapter 2. Jesus seems to be pointing ahead to this as he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then verse 23, this is one that I spent a good deal of time. I spent a lot of time studying it this week. and I'm going to spend just a little bit of time explaining it because I don't totally get it yet. Okay, um, Verse 23 uh, is a bit challenging as you read through it, and it says this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if we, you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus seems to here give quite a bit of authority to the disciples as he tells them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. Anytime you get to a spot in Scripture, like, well, that's kind of hard to understand. What, do the disciples now have authority to forgive sins uh, or to withhold forgiveness? Is he just talking about how, well, I mean, just basically, like if I have a friend and he's done something against me and I forgive him, then he's forgiven by me? Well, what's, what's he talking about here? And I read what uh, a lot of uh, other people who are much smarter than me had to say this week. And, and, and what, what the understanding was between more than one of them, uh, and it makes sense to me, uh, not that I could say, hey, I totally understand it, and I totally, I totally know exactly what Jesus is saying, but they're saying Jesus is really kind of referring to this, this kind of transfer of power in many ways that comes to the disciples who will be filled with the Holy Spirit, who will proclaim the message, the gospel message, that your sins can be forgiven. They're going to go out and they're going to proclaim this message under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they can com- they can proclaim it with confidence that, that when they speak of Jesus forgiving the sins of all those who trust in him, those will be forgiven. So, regardless, what we have, though, is Jesus sending his disciples out with a mission. Anytime you're having a tough time in a certain spot in Scripture, you also want to go to spots that are more clear. Okay? And we don't really see anywhere in Scripture that, that somebody's forgiveness is dependent on a disciple of Jesus first forgiving them before Jesus can. We don't see that anywhere, so I don't think that's what this is saying either. But I want to back up for a bit of application before we move ahead. And I want to back up because I recognize that these disciples were, as we said, understandably afraid, probably anxious. They had kind of dropped everything. Remember, some of them were fishermen. And when Jesus said, follow me, what did they do? They left their nets. That was their their livelihood. They left it to follow Jesus. They wandered about, often like homeless people, for quite some time, depending on the hospitality of other people for the last three years. And now Jesus has come back. Remember the message that Mary Magdalene passed on from Jesus. I'm going to be with my father. He's leaving. Yes, he's risen from the dead, but he's soon to ascend to the Father. What are the disciples going to do now? What are they going to do with these Jewish people who seem to be so mad at Jesus that they crucified him? What are they going to do with us? They probably think we stole the body. And so understandably, 
The disciples, because of their present circumstances, and because they don't know what the future holds, they're afraid. And what does Jesus say to them? Peace be with you. And I wanted to pause at that because Jesus is going to say it. We've seen two times. He's going to say it one more time a little bit later. And I want to pause and hear that and say that again because some of you, that's how you're sitting here today. We're not in a locked room, but you're, because of your present circumstances, afraid. You're, because of your present circumstances and not knowing totally what the future looks like, you might be anxious. For some of you, it has something to do with your health or the health of someone you love. You're afraid. You're anxious. For some of you, it has something to do with your job. For some of you, it has something to do with where you live. For some of you, it has something to do with your finances. There's things that seem to be looming really big. And it's easy because of our circumstances, to feel afraid and to feel anxious. And I think we just need to hear the risen Jesus saying, Peace be with you. When Jesus shows up and is present, He brings with Him peace. Jesus is also saying this to disciples who may be afraid of how He will respond to them based on how they've failed Him. Some of them have failed him pretty badly, even very recently. I have Peter in mind. Don't you think that part of their fear might not just be for the Jews outside for whom they've locked the doors, but with the one who came into the room (laughs) through the locked door? All of a sudden, Jesus is there. First time for most of them seeing him now since he's been risen. And they see Jesus come into the room with them. And I wonder if their mind quickly flashes back to how they've failed Him. I wonder if they expected, and I wonder if some of you expect, that if Jesus were to walk into this room and look at you, some of you might have this assumption that what Jesus would do is shake His head in disappointment. Like like you've let Him down, like you've failed Him. But I want us to notice how Jesus comes into the room. That's not what he does. He doesn't come in with a list of, well, here's what you did, and here's what you did. Remember when you did this? And he doesn't come in shaking his head in disappointment. Jesus comes into the room, and what does he say repeatedly? Peace be with you. Oh, isn't he so gentle, so merciful? Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's continue. Uh, have you ever, um, maybe, maybe, maybe you're at like some sporting event and uh, you need to excuse yourself for a moment to go use the restroom. And while you're there, you hear people yelling and cheering and you know you just missed something big. It's a bummer to be, and you come back out, you're like, what just happened? Right? And you want to see a replay. They might tell you, but you want to see, you want to see a replay. Right? Thomas missed out. Uh, We don't know where he was, but Thomas is one of the disciples, and all of the other disciples were there that Sunday night, the very same Sunday night when Jesus was raised from the dead. They got to see him. 
Jesus saying, peace be with you. Jesus saying, look at my hands, look at my side. They got to experience that. Thomas, I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't there. And so he comes back, and they have, hey, do you see it? We've seen the Lord. They tell him he was not with them when he came. We've seen the Lord, they say. But here's what he says. Well, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And sometimes people get down on Thomas for saying that, but all of the other disciples, they got to see it. That's why they believe. And Thomas is just saying, I want to see it too. He's skeptical of just their verbal testimony. He wants to see it for himself. Some of us can relate to Thomas. Unless I see it, I will never believe. I'm looking, I got notes here. I don't even know what page I'm on. Uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. And so what happens? Now, does, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Does Thomas deserve to have this evidence laid out right before him? Not necessarily, right? But look at what Jesus does. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and again the doors are locked. And again, Jesus comes in and stands among them. And again, Jesus says what? Peace be with you. And this time, Thomas was there. He wasn't going to be caught somewhere else on this Sunday. So this Sunday, uh, eight days later, he's there again. And he gets to see Jesus. And, and again, Jesus offers evidence. He speaks to Thomas's heart, peace be with you, but also to his mind. What did Thomas want? Thomas wanted some evidence. And so Jesus offers it to him. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We're not even told if Thomas does it. But just seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus say, peace be with you, and, and seeing Jesus' hands inside, and having the offer, go ahead and put your hands there. Don't disbelieve, but believe. That's enough for Thomas to make a personal profession of faith. Notice that it's personal. Jesus is Lord and God, right? But what does Thomas profess? He says, my Lord and my God. It's a powerful profession. When Thomas sees Jesus, the risen Lord, his profession is, that's my Lord and that's my God. It's a personal profession of faith that Thomas makes. He believes because he saw the risen Jesus, and Jesus just makes this note. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, because Jesus appeared to over 500 witnesses between his resurrection and his ascension. But when you think of all the people in all the world over all of history, that was only a few people. None of us have had that privilege and many people, generations before us, have not had the privilege of seeing what Thomas and the other disciples got to see. And Jesus is saying, we're not, we're not getting shortchanged. Blessed are you if you have not seen and yet have believed. 
application for us. Application for us is this. Some of you are by nature kind of like Thomas. It's hard for you to just take someone else's word. Is this true for some of you? It's hard for you to just take someone else's word for something. You're the kind that maybe people call you cynical. You think you're just inquisitive, right? That you have lots of questions. That you turn like two or three and you started asking why, 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 why. And you never grew out of it. That's fine. That's the way some of you are. And that's fine. Thomas seems to be that kind of guy. And I'm super thankful that Thomas is that kind of guy. Because sometimes when you have the guts to ask a question or express a doubt, you get a really good answer, don't you? Think about Thomas. How much do we know about Thomas? Of all the disciples, not too much. Lots of stuff about Peter and James and John. But Thomas, we don't hear. Remember when we've heard about Thomas in the Gospel of John? When else have we heard about Thomas? Remember? Yeah, John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, you remember when Jesus is talking about, in this world, I'm going to the Father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember that? And he says, you know the way? So Jesus just makes a statement. You know the way to where I'm going. But do you remember Thomas's response? Thomas speaks up. And he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And to which Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Why did Jesus make that statement that our kids in Awana memorize, that, that we go back to again and again? Why did Jesus make that statement? Because Thomas asked a question. Right? And so if you are by nature a pretty inquisitive person, you have lots of questions, maybe if it's even gone beyond questions to doubts, don't be afraid. Here's, here's a point of application. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Jesus is not offended by your questions. It's good to ask questions. Jesus is not down on you because of your doubts. That's okay. Some of you maybe have stayed away from the church for a long time because you have questions and you have doubts and you just felt like there's no place for me there because I don't have everything figured out yet. There's a place for you here. We are people that don't have everything figured out yet. We do have questions. Or maybe some of you, you've, been, you, you've not walked away from being a part of the church. You've been a part of the church for a long time. But you have these doubts in your mind, and you're not sure that it's okay to express them. You're not sure it's okay to ask your questions. And I would say it is, because Jesus is not offended by your questions, and he's not down on you for your doubts. If you have questions or doubts, share them. Ask them in your life group. Call Pastor Stan this week. Not me, call him. <laughs> no, call either of us this week, right? Well, we'd love to talk. If you have questions, let's, that's what we get to do in that core class. That's what you get to do in students in youth group in Awana. Man, make your leaders scratch their heads. If there's something you got a question about, ask them. They might, they, they might just have to say, oh, I don't know. I'm going to ask somebody else. We'll, we'll find a way to look into Scripture and try to get answers to a lot of questions. But look to Jesus and believe. All right. I'm looking at the clock. We're going to go through this last bit pretty quickly. 
one of the reasons we'll go through it quickly is you might remember, maybe not, because it's been a couple of years now, when we started this series, I usually start a series at the beginning of a book, John chapter 1, verse 1, but that was the second week in the series. The first week in the series, we actually looked at this passage, just not quite all of it, but because, why? Why did we look at this passage to start the series? Because John does a really nice thing here. Not every author in Scripture does this, but John, in his book, right here towards the end of it, gives us a statement of the purpose of his book. He tells us exactly why all these things are written. Now, it begins like this. It says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay? There's a lot of other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book. Matthew, Mark, and Luke include a lot of things that John did not include. And John includes a lot of things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not include. And we know this because anytime we tell a story, we can't tell every single detail. Kirsten's thinking, well, my husband tries. <laughs> uh, and some of you are married to somebody like that too. You think like, if I'm going to tell this story, I've got to tell every single detail. Uh, and then your, your, your spouse is over there thinking like, okay, let's, let's shorten that up a little bit, right? Uh, we don't need to share all of that. But John is just, like that, he's just being honest. Uh, I, I'm not writing every single detail. He's selective in what it is that he's writing. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So he's selective because he has a certain purpose. So the words that are written, every one of them written by John, every one of them inspired by the Holy Spirit, why are they written? There's a purpose to it. They're written so that. Okay, there's a purpose. The, so, the purpose comes after the so that. But these are written so that, what? You may believe. The purpose of the writing is that the people that are doing the hearing or the reading would believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is. So believing something about who Jesus is. John wrote all these things that we've been looking at over all the, I think this is like sermon, I wrote it on the top. This is uh, sermon number 54 in this series, okay? We've been a long time in the Gospel of John. All these things were written, why? So that we might believe that Jesus is, something about Jesus. We might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, the Promised One who was to come, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the One who was the Word in the beginning with God, the Word was God, right? This One. John is writing these things that we would know the truth and believe the truth about who Jesus is. Why? I love how clear this is. Some of you some of you think like me. You like everything to kind of be laid out like this. That's why I love that John just lays it out. Here's why I wrote the book. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, there's something that's going to come from this. What is it? You may have life in his name. So John just clearly lays out the purpose of this book. So that's why the image that's gone with this series the entire time is actually just John chapter 20, verse 31, written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what the Word says. And we need this book, don't we? 
so grateful that this book is in the Bible because this book gives us a message that we cannot get from the world we live in. Okay, if the world wrote the gospel, here, here's what it would sound like. The world's message is, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. But if you get educated, believe in yourself or your truth, you get to determine what that is, then you can live a better life now. Okay? That's the world's message. The world's message is, you're already pretty good. But if you just kind of learn some more and believe in yourself and believe in your truth, then your life will get better. Okay, that's the world's message. But I'm so thankful that John gives us the word's message. And that is, you know, we're spiritually dead. But if we hear God's word and believe the truth about Jesus, you can have life forever with him. Right? That's, there, there's a difference there. And this is why we need a book. This is, this is why John says, this is why I wrote the book, that you might believe the truth about Jesus. Not believe in yourself, not have faith just for faith's sake, but believe the truth about Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And there's a result. The result is that you may have life in His name. That's life forever with Him. Not just a better life now. I think a better life now as well but not just a better life now. So, last week, when we were doing the baptisms, as part of our application last week, we, I, I quoted from Romans chapter 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? I love how simple that, that, that it's laid out there. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. How are we saved? Not by baptism, not by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. How does that come about? Uh, If you go a little bit further in that passage that I quoted last week, you would read this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he writes this. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone is preaching to them? So he says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I, I didn't do it on the screen, but if we were to draw some arrows, let's see, i got to think of it from you. Okay, so you're okay, over here. Okay? So, so we hear or read the word of God. Faith comes from that, and when we believe, we have life in His name. So you want, you want life forever with Jesus. It comes from hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and being saved by God to life forever with Him. So in John chapter 3, it's pretty clear there too. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Saying the same thing been a good time in John's gospel. John's gospel is the word of God. You've heard it. We're not done yet. We've got chapter 21, which in many ways is kind of like an epilogue and it's beautiful. And I'm so excited about looking at it more the next couple of weeks. Two more weeks in John's gospel. But let's pause here because we don't have a guarantee, do we, that we're going to be back here next Sunday. right? And so you need to hear this. You've heard the truth. 
that, that you are spiritually dead and you can't undead yourself. You need to be made alive. How are you made alive? You're born again through faith in Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit has been stirring something up in your heart, the proper response for you is a response of repentance and faith, of putting your trust in Jesus, that Jesus is who He says He is, that Jesus did what the Bible says He did, that you might believe in Him and have life in His name. Believe that today and live forever with Jesus. And so I'm grateful for the Gospel of John. It has been used. I mean, just think about this. This was written in the first century A.D. And how many people have been introduced to Jesus through the Gospel of John? And how many people, in hearing the Word, have believed the Word and have been saved and are now brothers and sisters in Christ through the Gospel of John? This has happened to probably millions of people throughout history. Has it happened in your own personal history? Can you point to a time where, yes, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And that was my biggest problem. I heard that I was spiritually dead. And the only hope that I had to be made alive, to live forever in a right relationship with God, is through putting my faith in Jesus. You've done that. If not, I'd invite you to just, after we're done singing this song, Pastor Stan and Chris are going to be up here, come and talk to them about that. Or if you need prayer for anything else, if you're dealing with fear and anxiety, if you're dealing with questions and doubts, and you just say, I, I need somebody to pray for me, you're going to be up here for that purpose. But first we'll pray, we'll sing a song together, and then we'll have that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you just for the clarity of your word. And I pray that it would not be words that fall on deaf ears, that fall on skeptical minds, and that fall on hardened hearts, but that your word would have fallen today on soft soil, that there might be a harvest, a harvest that maybe comes even today, or a harvest that comes sometime in the future. I just thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for Jesus risen from the dead. And I thank you for the gift of faith. That we, even though we have not seen him, believe in him. And you tell us that we're blessed by that. And we are. It is so good to know him. We want to see him glorified above everything else. So I pray that that would be what we pray even as we sing this closing song. In Jesus' name, amen.